Hey, Cinecasters, we're back with another Wes Anderson episode, so you know what time it is. It's time for a little competition. This week, we're giving away a copy of the Royal Tenenbaums on Blu-ray, courtesy of UK Criterion and Sony Pictures at Home. This disc features a restored high-definition digital transfer supervised by the man Wes Anderson himself with a 5.1 DTS HD Master Audio soundtrack. It has an audio commentary with Wes Anderson, interviews, and behind-the-scenes footage, the very strange Peter Bradley show featuring interviews with lesser-known cast members of the last few Wes Anderson films, and Phil and I do discuss more about this in this episode, and all the usual amazing inserts and artwork you've come to expect from Criterion over the years. If you'd like to enter to win this copy, pop us an email at podcast at princecharlescinema.com and tell us your favorite Wes Anderson film. Simple as that. We'll also be running this competition at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram in the coming days, so increase your chances to win by keeping an eye out for the posts when they drop so you can enter there too. This week's competition closes at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, the 6th of July, 2021. Again, if you'd like to win, just pop us an email, podcast at princecharlescinema.com. Tell us your favorite Wes Anderson film. Be sure to follow UK Criterion at UK Criterion on Twitter and Instagram to keep up with all the latest releases. Good luck! trying to think of what you got for snack time but i'm really confused by like starbucks cup <laughs> did that throw you off yeah especially because you were just like royale with cheese <laughs> like so now i'm like the royale with tenenbaum <laughs> well yeah i, I should have got i mean yeah. i mean we'll see we'll see we'll see i'm not gonna give it we'll away I'm not gonna give it away so not that means we away. just have to start the episode or else i will never find out and i'm just gonna exactly. live in darkness forever um, so we got to find out, ladies and gentlemen, what Phil has. So welcome to the Bon Charles Cinecast, <laughs> presented by the Prince Charles Cinema and Breadcrumbs Collective. This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and I am here today with my little, I mean, I hope he's not on drugs. I hope he's not like, you know, depressed, uh, in love with his sister. I hope, <laughs> I hope he's not like a, a two out of three. A, <laughs> the, uh, fur coat wearing goth and i hope he's not like no. a man running from his past in a track suit let's hope he's not a bad dad you know how's boy doing i haven't not heard yet. or seen him lately it's long gone uh, so i guess maybe he is <laughs> a bad dad it is yeah. phil what's up phil how's it going this week <laughs> dress me down <laughs> bad <I> dad am, <laughs> phil yeah i am all the tenenbaums <laughs> all the tenenbaums in one <laughs> in one i'm all right i've recovered yeah from the jab you're good now until the next yeah till the next one hopefully in a couple of weeks hopefully yeah. yeah i'm all right working cinema busy mm-hmm. these, these people know they're there you're there thanks for coming no, out you're there thank you're you there. thank you nobody's uh, called me out yet called me out nobody i haven't had any recognition. Sight, sighting what the fuck is the word recognition 
I've had no recognition. <laughs> Me either. Uh, well, apart Join from the now, club. Yeah. But you're in the house. I'm yeah, there every day. Come to my house. God, I'll yeah. give you my address if you just recognize me. Jesus. Yeah. Apart from uh, Malcolm. Malcolm. Um, uh, our boy Malcolm. Our boy. And um, I mean, a few people have recognized me, but not from the podcast because they're regular and they know me. Yeah. Not from the, you know, our adventure in whatever the airwave what the hell this is yeah whatever the is it a podcast anymore? tell them tell them like you know hey get on the podcast go i yeah i really yeah. need to start doing Dump that, that shit but like every time i have a customer it's like join you with me no okay cool listen to the podcast in the <laughs> yeah we should have a business card what? nothing just give to customers with their <laughs> yeah receipt. with every receipt <laughs> i put it in the popcorn <laughs> slide it under yeah. the lid yeah of their drink great yeah it wouldn't be nice if you know there was a little bit of promotion for the podcast, like in the building or something. That'd be kind of cool. Someone found a bit better. It'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm DM, bro. I can do whatever. I can put a slide up. I can put a post yeah. up. I can do whatever. I'm just going to like make the main page on the website just about the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just go fuck with the code and just like... Yeah. You have to like get through it to get to the fucking lifting. <laughs> the amount of phone calls I would get. Oh, that would be funny as well. Like we we have the phone. Yeah, you know, we have the bug office number, and it goes yeah. to the daily lifting, and then it goes to the kiosk, so you could talk to someone. And it should just be. It should just start playing an episode. <laughs> just rewire. <laughs> and did you oh, pick man. up? It just like welcome to the podcast again, <laughs> and it's like an hour long message. <laughs> It's just like a whole episode. Of just That'd be amazing. Shit. It's just like, our, like hello, yeah. hello. It's like our Patreon feed, our Godzilla vs. Kong episode. It's just playing. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're getting it for free. Yeah, get it for free. Speaking of which, hey, over there on patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast, we've been saying the last few weeks you can get your early episodes. All these episodes go out early. All you got to do is just subscribe over there on Patreon for like $1, at least $1. All patrons on Patreon get early. But hey, if you support us for a little bit more, $5 or more a month or four pounds, I think it is in the UK or how many ever euros that equals is. What is that? Like 10 euros? I don't know. 10 euros? euros? Nah, I'm just That's right. <laughs> It's probably like four or five euros. I don't know. About 50 pesos. 50 pesos. <laughs> you get bonus episodes. Uh, so yeah, we just dropped our Godzilla versus Kong. Phil and I were talking about that for weeks that we were going to eventually talk about it. And we figured, hey, the best way to do it is just a little bonus action on Patreon. So we're not messing we up did our it. Anderson versus Anderson arc a little too much. But um, yeah, we got it. And there's more to come. More to come. We're yeah. planning some. We're planning some. We just talked That will reference old episodes. Yeah. Wink, so wink. If you're a fan, if you're a fan, you can guess. <laughs> Winkity wink. Winkity wink. Wait, I won't wink. I'll just wank. <laughs> I won't wink. I'll just clap every time I wink. Yeah. So if wink, you pay attention, just... you can tell what we're going to review next. <laughs> Winker. Uh, Are you winking or wanking? I don't know. I can't see your hands. Both. <laughs> Oh, the glad that's not available on patreon.com for slash the PCC podcast. Uh, so that's Phil's only fans. So I don't, those two shall never cross, it will never meet. Not, not on only, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear, yeah. but yeah, support the podcast if you want. But otherwise, hey, 
keep listening each and every week. Leave a rating review for this podcast if you like us. It helps us out. Uh, go over there to Apple Podcasts. It's really nice of you if you do that. It really helps us get noticed and stuff. Because <laughs> we need <laughs> <little> recognition. <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, I appreciate all you guys for listening each and every week. We have a fun one lined up this week. Phil and I been trudging along here. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. We're we're now in week five. I'm surprised we made it this far. Before it what just thrown in the towel? Just yeah, just like, like I'm done. I'm bored. Done. I'm bored with this. <laughs> <laughs> I think what else is playing? Are the listeners bored? Are you guys still enjoying this? Uh, it's getting hot. It's heating up, man. The it episodes is. are it's, getting. It's actually getting harder. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the movies are getting better. Yeah. We're in week five of our little arc pitting the films of Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson against each other. And we're just getting into the thick of it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Anderson versus Anderson. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Welcome back. This bout is scheduled for one fall. <laughs> one fall. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, Phil and I trudged our way through the plague of frogs and daddy issues in Paul Thomas Anderson's ensemble-led third feature, Magnolia. We had a good Magnolia. time. Magnolia. We finally saw eye to eye. <laughs> and now we are we did. trudging our way through the plague of Dalmatian mice and daddy issues in Wes uh. Anderson's ensemble-led third feature in... Ooh, Phil. The Royale Tenenbaums. Royale, Royale Tenenbaums. With Tenenbaums, put some cheese on it. There were three extraordinary children in the Tenenbaum family. I said sell it, yeah. Chaz Tenenbaum was a financial expert and started buying real estate in his early teens. Margot Tenenbaum was an acclaimed playwright and won a Pulitzer Prize in the ninth grade. Richie Tenenbaum was a champion tennis player ranked second in the world by age 17. They were brilliant. They were famous. They were unlucky enough to be the children of a man named Royal Tenenbaum. Are you getting divorced? It doesn't look good. Was that our fault? Obviously, we made certain sacrifices as a result of having children, but uh, no, Lord, no. Thank you, Pagoda. Well, I'm on my way. Now, for the first time in 22 years. I hear you're dying. Ooh, how long are you gonna last? Month, a year. I've got six weeks to set things right. <laughs> They're all living together under the same roof, in harmony. I love you more than anything. Somebody be a jerk their whole life and try to repair the damage? You probably don't even know my middle name. That's a trick question. You don't have one. Helen. Mm. 
Royal Tenenbaum, Gene Hackman, and his wife, Ethelene, Angelica Houston, had three children, and then they separated. All three children are extraordinary, all geniuses. There's the business whiz, Chaz Tenenbaum, Ben Stiller, the tennis champ, Richie Tenenbaum, or okay, the bomber, Luke Wilson, and the eccentric <laughs> playwright and adopted daughter, Margot Tenenbaum. Played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, you know what's coming back. You know what's coming back, <laughs> you know bro. It's coming back. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. <laughs> Virtually all memory of the brilliance of the young Tenenbaums was subsequently erased by two decades of betrayal, failure, and disaster. Most of this was generally considered to be their father's fault. After hearing of Royal's terminally ill cancer prognosis, the family is suddenly and unexpectedly reunited under the same roof. It's the 2001... Oh my god, 20th anniversary this year. Comedy drama from director Wes Anderson, which he co-wrote with Owen Wilson in their final collaboration on our podcast. So pour out a vodka martini for these two <laughs> college roommates turned filmmaking partners. Hot takes out the gate, Phil. The Royal Tenenbaums. We finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally got to it. like all, all the ingredients for... This is the here. one, man. <laughs> They're all here. Maybe not. I don't know if my fave, but second at least. Yeah. I love the Royal Tenenbaum. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I think it's finally everything coming together. It's no more, you know, uh, sugarcoating it, stepping around family story. Mm-hmm. This one is about family. Absolutely. It's explicit. It's, <laughs> we're in the shit with it issues. Yeah. And even balancing the, like, you know, like I had the problem with Rushmore that everybody is like an intellectual and like unlikable. Mm-hmm. This does it better for me. I don't know why, because they're a family of geniuses, but that's besides the point. They're all failures in one way or another. Yeah. They've all, it's all them struggling to live up to that title of, of Royal. I, I think this movie is great. I think it's, it, it's a great ensemble piece, but not too big. It's, still very much contained to this one family this one house really yeah and i love all the characters i think it's funny it's dark dark in ways that he doesn't really get to very often and i think actually compliments his work nicely it's sad again soundtrack is wonderful i mean i think i'm always gonna say that but this in (laughs) particular this maybe had my favorite needle drop yeah i think I probably know what team you're talking about. There's well, there's two really big ones in this one, but there's one. Okay, yeah, I'm talking about the other one, but that one is my second really awesome needle drop. So there's two awesome needle drops. Yeah, I I just I I love the Royal Tenenbaum. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's so good. I think it's just on the money. It's like focused and it it pulled it off. Like it's doing everything it's trying to do. It pulled off, and even (laughs) the relate the central relationship <laughs> yeah. this is i think the most i'll let it go yeah this is the only i think it's the only time i've liked gwyneth paltrow oh really i think she's really good in this yeah movie. she's really good in this and she's a really weird one because she is a good actress and she's usually good in like she's a lot of things now with but she's shit but she's vagina candle yeah she's very <laughs> strange very strange yeah. as a human being. Yeah. <laughs> Just as a person. Yeah. And if, and maybe my favorite Luke Wilson. Sad Luke Wilson, man. That's it's yeah. me. That's exactly what yeah, I want. I, know. I relate deep to Sad Luke Wilson. We we said this sort of like we've been saying it as we've gone along, really, and how 
particularly with Wes Anderson's films. Well, actually, both Paul Thomas Anderson and Wes Anderson, you start to see, like, it's we're finally here. We're at our second, third film of the two directors, and we've been saying it all along that, like, you feel like it's all going to come together, like, when you get yeah. to that third film, because you know exactly, kind of vaguely, you know, what you're working with by this point. The, you yeah, know? And it's better to rewatch for us to rewatch and kind of, like, really see it is and see how they grow and stuff and this one yeah in particular like wes anderson's really found his style everything comes together in this one like all the quirky tweeness of the wes anderson world like is really on display here like full force the color the colors like the pastel colors are here you've got the uh i mean they're a character in themselves like Mm. uh this unique set pieces all the costumes movement of the camera some really creative shots that he does obviously his <laughs> symmetrical shots are there yeah um, of course. and the moving the camera around like you know in those it's mm. weird paul thomas anderson does a lot of this shit as well it's kind of strange like and no one gives him shit for it but they love he calmed the <laughs> fuck down though <laughs> yeah. Yeah. west is not i don't know it's, it's strange well we're not yeah. we're not putting him under fire this week it's west not anderson, this though, week so. but anyway it's yeah it's a good one man this one like you said it's a lot of sadness in this film there's a lot there's a lot of like i think sometimes it's not always going to hit you right though like you know if you're watching this film in certain ways sometimes you might look at it and kind of laugh and just because it's very it's a very much like a film that i think you could struggle to like if you didn't watch it when you were a teenager maybe Fair enough. Yeah, I watched this one fairly young. Yeah, because yeah. I watched it as a teenager as well, and like one of my really good friends loved this film. He used to talk about it a lot and stuff, and particular a lot of like the needle drops, particularly the one you're talking about, the needle drop that you mimed to me that we'll get to later. But yeah, it's <laughs> just like there's all those sort of moments in these films that are just sort of like depressing and like it's very it's a very emo film you know what i'm saying like it came at the right time it's a perfect like yeah. early 2000 snapshot of the culture i yeah. think yeah it, a very specific person again we're talking white we're talking middle class upper class yeah um you know it can be seen as pretentious like all his movies but it wears its pretension on its sleeve and the yeah. whole movie is trying to dig past that and what i think this one had going for it is the emotion. There's an, a level yeah. of emotion here that I don't see present in a lot of Wes Anderson movies. Mm-hmm. And that's my main problem going forth. Maybe not next two movies, but after that. It's something he loses and it really bothers me. Yeah, he definitely has those moments. I think I think what it what happens is we get to like like Moonrise and we'll we'll properly like reassess the sort of thoughts and stuff when we get there. But like um when you get to like Moonrise, I think he steps back into like uh, childhood again. And mm. it, it's just like maybe a bit jarring and you aren't really ready for it or whatever when you're used to like him doing maybe a little bit more adult films. But it's yeah. weird though, because his films are always sort of steeped in childhood. Like his definitely, like this one particularly yeah. is about his parents' divorce and, and childhood um, trauma. Yeah. yeah. And his, you know, his adults and his films are always like more like children than they are adults and the children are always yeah, yeah. a lot more grown up yeah yeah he has a good point that's been since bottle rocket you know just think about anthony's little sister like she's so much more grown up and yeah, like yeah. serious and and then of course max fisher and all of the little kids are all like acting like they're adults whereas like the adults are acting like little kids and 
yeah, it's in this one, like all of it comes together, man. Like you have all those elements. You you have Wes getting really, really into like exploring a lot of his like interest in French cinema and and um really Yeah, never hardcore. forget. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh yeah, cl- and other classic works and stuff. So it's it's all sort of like really this one I f- I feel like he, he him and Owen Wilson I think worked for a couple years on this just to get the show. it right. I think it's the the strongest of his first of his first three. Yeah, it's like maybe Owen just, Wilson is the factor I'm 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 missing. He didn't write yeah. with him anymore. Yeah. But Noah Bowenbeck showed up. Yeah. And yeah, and Wes Anderson also in turn is like, you know, working with Noah Bombeck on Noah Bombeck stuff. Like so yeah. he produced uh, the Squid and the Well and that's just like I mean yeah. Which is a very wet that this with Royal Tenenbaum, they yeah. fit really well together. You could slot one into the other. I Absolutely. Feel. Yeah, they're very like mirrored films. I feel like we could almost do like a that as a bonus uh thing Side mission? Itself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't yeah, I mean I'm not promising anything, but maybe because like we don't have time to really this you know in the next couple of weeks anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but like I I like the squid in the well and I think we've talked about it a little bit like as we've gone along. So maybe we can something we can do down the line. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it, this is a good one, man. There's like a there's a lot I like a, a I like a lot about it. Um and but I could also see if some people maybe won't like certain elements to it and stuff but i think this is almost mm. like the quintessential wes anderson film this is I, the one i think if i if i had to point someone i think to like oh if they hadn't seen a wes anderson movie the one i would show them i think it's the royal tenenbaum yeah just to get a good grasp of everything mm-hmm. i think the others would be like life aquatic would be weird to jump into <laughs> i think you need to i think you need to bring i think you need to be very aware and comfortable with his style coming into that movie um but yeah yeah i think it'd be this one not saying that 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 this isn't best i don't think it's my favorite it's up there but i think it's like you said quintessential yeah it's not my favorite but i think like uh wes anderson from a like it's not even my opinion but from the degree of the way people view his films he has like one or two masterpieces you know from the way people like basically me using that word the quintessential it's like this one and then i think a lot of people which i really am gonna have to like i, I just need to see it again but grand budapest seems to nope. be like other people's like <laughs> definitely not his later masterpiece but this is his early masterpiece and we're here and it's interesting yeah. because it's like it falls right in the same week we uh, you know the same well the same time period we have the third film for paul thomas anderson and you could easily say the magnolia is like his first really masterpiece it's like first of many yeah (laughs) (laughs) come at me yeah um so yeah it's interesting it's it's kind of interesting how similar elements to the films are as well like there's a lot of like dealing with fathers and stuff obviously like um definitely yeah definitely yeah well as with his previous two films the origins of uh royal tenenbaums comes directly from west anderson's life as it was, like I said earlier, partly inspired by his own parents' divorce. He admitted that it, of course, differed greatly from his own experience, but there were some small details that remained, which I'll get to as we go along. Uh, Wes Anderson was also inspired by French director Louis Mao's works, uh, such as his 1971 Murmur of the Heart, and particularly the Fire Within from 1963, 
where a suicidal man tries to meet with his friends. And Wes even used a line from that film, uh, which if it's translated into English is I'm going to kill myself tomorrow, which remember it's one of the best lines yeah i wrote a suicide note with the dark of course it was dark it was a suicide note (laughs) yeah oh man the the relationship of all the the tenenbaums is is pretty funny like it's really well done it's like they're all so different yeah it's like there's elements that you almost wish they would have touched on a little bit more but they did enough to kind of like i think that's one thing about this this film like if if Paul Thomas Anderson was making this, he would have made this like three hours long. And I appreciate oh, yeah. that Wes Anderson made it like less than two hours, which is great. Like it's <laughs> like it you can it easy, do this. Yeah, it makes it easy to watch. It makes it yeah, easy yeah. to watch. And I'd rather the feeling of wanting more than yeah. having too much. Yeah. Like I like all the characters and I would gladly watch a bit more, mm-hmm. but I, I get enough in this movie. Yeah, like because I I really wanted to see more between Chaz and Richie, and I know there's a couple of elements. Yeah, to this. yeah. One being that I think Ben Stiller wasn't as available um, while they were shooting, so they had to shoot around. Same with Gwyneth Paltrow, so that's why there's a lot yeah. of like weaving around their stories a bit. It's but, just wet branching out a bit. Yeah, but also uh, they, I mean, you know, they did they did enough with the whole like showing of him you know, Richie going out with the father and Chaz just being jealous of that. Like you never, you know, pay that sort of attention to me. And, you know, you shot me in my goddamn hand and, you know, like these little things. Oh, Um, father. (laughs) Do we ever really know our father? (laughs) No, no, not at all. My dad was a drunk, uh, but he was okay, but he was kind of a weirdo. Um, Thanks dad. You made me into a weirdo. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I got my daddy issues. Here we go. Let's unpack Here our daddy issues. Fuck this movie. Let's just talk about our daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> that could be the bonus episode. <laughs> yeah. Real talk. Therapy. <laughs> therapy. Session. Real talk. Yeah. <laughs> Group therapy. Other influences were Orson Welles, 1942 classic, The Magnificent Ambersons. Yeah, which definitely. you can see a lot. Even the like, title. Like, the, yeah, the title. The, the uh, You've got the... The house, there's a lot of elements to it. Like, um, shots, there's a lot of shots and stuff that he took. I, I still need to see the Magnificent Ambersons. It's one of those Good. that I, I know Good. is a classic and I just haven't watched yet. So, yeah, the, his, the, his movies actually hold up quite well. I did a run of them in uni and they're, they're like the third man is great. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. all good shit. Yeah. And it's like one of those things, like, you know, it's like, dude, if, if you have to ask yourself if Citizen Kane is worth watching, just, just go ahead and watch it because it, it is it is really fun. It is good. worth watching. It is. It's worth not watching. the greatest movie. It's not ever the greatest made. movie ever made. I will fight you on that. But, but you will enjoy it. I think. I think you most gotta people watch it. Enjoy it because it's. And while you're well watching made. it, just remind yourself this is 1930 something. Yeah, absolutely. Or 1940 something. Because that's what makes it impressive, <laughs> and that there was nothing else like it yeah. in American cinema at that point. Yeah. Great. Boring though. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me. The boring. <laughs> Other things that uh, uh, Wes Anderson was influenced by were J- the works of J.D. Salinger, which uh, particularly yeah. like Salinger's stories that focused on the Glass family, which mm. comprised a bunch of brilliant yet troubled individuals, particularly F- Franny and Zoe, uh, which features characters wearing distinctive fashions and a character with the name Tannenbaum 
But as I mentioned in our Bottle Rocket episode, he got a friend, right? Yeah, this was going to come back. It's the name of the name of Tenenbaum, much like the name of Dignan was inspired by a real life friend, which was Brian Tenenbaum, who appears in the film as one of the paramedics alongside <laughs> none other than Stephen Dignan. So they're the Perfect. two paramedics who take the priest away. And they got no money for it. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> Much like Stephen Dignan, who uh, also appeared as an extra in Wes Anderson's previous two films. Mm. In Bottle Rocket, he plays Future Man's douchey friend. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. H. Clay Merchinson or whatever. Mm. Uh, I don't know why he even has a name, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, he might have, he might have, Future Man might have said his name, but like, why isn't his name something cool like Future Man? <laughs> I mean, past that's friend. not cool, but past, past present past. Future Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Come on, it's right there. <laughs> and finally, another big thing that really made a big impression on Wes Anderson, which you see in this film, is E.L. Konigsberg's book, From the Mi- Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweller, where the characters Claudia and Jamie run away to go live in Jamie. the Metropolitan. <laughs> Jamie! Go live in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, which that inspired the story of Margot and Richie running away and hiding out in the museum. That also sounds like good in a while. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Mama and Kindle and I got problems. I need to go watch the squid the well in the museum. You ever use the technique to go see? This is exactly what, you know, would happen if we do a squid in the well episode. So, you guys got to get over on Patreon because now I kind of feel like I want to do it. Oh, we have to do it now. start thinking about the little kid in the in the library. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) God damn it. Ew. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) 30 minutes alone on that scene. <laughs> that put me off library. <laughs> yeah, don't touch books. Because you never know. Yeah, you I never, never touch books. Touch, I never, never want to read again. Yeah. Uh, that's why I only watch movies. Yeah. I don't have to touch anything. Exactly. <laughs> don't want to touch computers either. No. Um, <laughs> Not even my own. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phil, we're getting into the cast, but before that, let's oh. call a snack time. Hope it's alright, we know it's not over But now we're having snack time to maintain status quo Snack time It's snack time But now it's we're time. having snack time to maintain status quo It's snack time It's snack time But now it's we're time. having snack time to maintain status quo What, what, what? I know you're curious. To, I think I built it up because I was like, I ordered it before <laughs> before we started. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you found, you, you want to get out of here and get some burgers and go to the cemetery? <laughs> what's, you know, what's Royal Tenenbaum tra- he's trying to sneak burgers the whole movie? Yeah, I forget he was just eating burgers. So I went to, because um, I didn't want to fucking make a burger like in the oven and shit. I went oh. to Thainbury looking for one of those like Rustler's burgers. Do you remember that? Oh, one? God. They're that, awful. I've never had one. But I used to yeah. live off those in uni, but they didn't have a, 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 a they didn't have a veggie version. I was like, I don't want to 
Like, I'm definitely going to get thick. <laughs> definitely going to get thick. It's one minute in the microwave. Like, I'm sure the owner of Rustlers would be like, a veggie version. <laughs> <laughs> so, instead, I got Starbucks, and Starbucks do a breakfast burger, which oh. I really like. A vegetarian. It's like a Beyond Meat thing. Yeah. Breakfast burger. It's like a beef patty Ooh. and cheese. And, oh, I don't No, not cheese. I think it's egg in it, and it's like some sort of tomato relish sort of thing. Did you already take a bite? <laughs> no. <was> like, <laughs> no. Did you deliver it? It came driver? like that. <laughs> yeah, he spilled the coffee and took a bite out of it. <laughs> he did. Look, it's fucking uh, everywhere. Oh, man. Spain, bro. Easy. But these are really good. I'm going to take a bite. All right. Yeah. Just hear the snap and pull. <laughs> Well, that's good. I completely forgot Royal. Like, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, what am I going to do? Royal, what is, like, you know, yeah, he's eating burgers throughout. I should have got Royal with cheese. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, how many falcons flying through the sky are you getting at? Or how many weird paintings on Eli Cash's walls? No, no, here we go. How many <laughs> clippings from Eli Cash? To ethylene Tenenbaum, are you giving it? <laughs> <laughs> Normally, this would get a five, but it's cold and it's chewy. <laughs> no, like a four. A four. Four is nice. solid. All right. Well, there was something I picked up on that Royale with cheese was doing throughout the film is uh, Royal Tenenbaum. This is why I set this for now because we're getting into the cast. Gene Hackman plays Royal Tenenbaum. He mm. he tricks his family into thinking he's dying of cancer, and uh, so I have cancer. Yeah. So no, but he's taking medicine. And he has this whole scheme set up. He's got like you know. Oh, here we go. Seymour Cassell is his uh, playing his doctor, pretending like you know he's got cancer, and he's got like all this equipment in his room, a hospital bed, like a fucking respirator, all sorts of crazy shit. (laughs) And and he's got all of his medicine there, but there's also a pack of Tic Tacs. Tic Tac. Just sitting there. And. Very nice. Very nice. His, uh, all of his medication is just actually Tic Tacs. So I'll have a few Tic Tacs. Very good. Oh, come on. Tic Tac the bullshit. I got the lime and orange one, which seems to be the only ones that exist now. <laughs> How many clippings? To be honest, I love Tic Tacs, and it was a struggle to save this because we've been sitting at my desk for like <laughs> really quite a few days now, and um, I hadn't opened it. So, but the problem is, I just want to eat them all in like one go because they're just really good. That's how they get you. Um, so, I'll give them, I'll give them a solid four, out of four two. four clippings. So there we go. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I was gonna ask because I didn't catch it, but I figured the burgers were like a Archie comic reference, Jughead and stuff. But I didn't catch the peanuts reference. Uh-huh. Do you have that? I do have do the I- peanuts reference. Okay, good. We'll get to them. Just good, good, good. Could I felt stupid? <laughs> there was a couple of pretty obvious ones. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. looking for it. I guess. <laughs> I'm out afterward, just like eh, I can't think of any. Yeah. 
All right, so Gene Hackman as Royal Tenenbaum. He was, he was Wes Anderson's choice for Royal all along with Anderson saying it was written for him against his wishes because I think Gene Hackman was like not really wanting to like have a role written for him. We're talking the twilight part of Gene Hackman's career as well. Yeah, he's about to retire. Absolutely amazing in this film. Gene Hackman usually is amazing in almost everything he's in. Lex um, Luthor, man. What's that? Sorry, Lex Luthor. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, mouth yeah. full of food. But uh, he sounded like he was a nightmare to work with. Oh no! <laughs> I didn't know this because, like, when I started doing the writing for this episode, and I start finding little bits and pieces, there's like all these little bits and pieces that start to come out. All right, so. Hackman, he was really hesitant about accepting the role, citing his lack of understanding of or commonalities with Royal. However, Gene Hackman mentioned in other interviews that he was somewhat hesitant to accept the part because he felt like that he himself had been insensitive to his own family at different points in his life. And so he was playing himself. Yeah. So it seems like he was battling with like having to do this. He asked his own family if they would find playing you know him playing this character uncomfortable for their own sakes and they all agreed that he should accept the part he also wasn't happy with the pay as he would have to work to scale oh there we go yeah that's another big <laughs> that's the real problem uh alec baldwin who narrates the film by the way um so yeah yeah kind of nice hearing his voice throughout he joked that gene hackman's agent once told him hackman doesn't even open his eyes for less than three million dollars <laughs> <laughs> Hackman don't move for nobody. I think Alec Baldwin's kind of made a lot of weird jokes about this film. Like he absolutely loved it. I'll get to it later. But um, he also apparently like he was like Wes Anderson offered him the part to narrate the film. And it's just talking about how much he loved his voice and stuff. And then Alec Baldwin later said that like that Wes Anderson didn't really want a narrator, but it was the studio that was like pressuring him to have like this narration. <laughs> And then Wes Anderson, like at the 20th anniversary of like this film recently, like they were doing some, some event. Um, he was just like, I, I never said that. Like, I never, <laughs> I never said that. Like, it's in the script. Like, there's narration in the script. Like, it was there all along. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so Gene Hackman's agent actually persuaded him to take the role, though his like reluctance led to Michael Caine, Michael Caine being... Michael Caine. Being uh, considered for the part. I'm Royal Tenenbaum. (laughs) I'm Royal Tenenbaum. All right, mate. (laughs) Gene Wilder was also rumored to be a possible choice, but he had retired by this point, so he turned down the role. Gene Wilder would have been a good good show. Yeah. Too likable, though. I love him so much, man. I fucking love Gene Wilder. He was so awesome, man. Timothy Chalonet. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You ain't no Gene Wilder. Uh, however, the storied actor decided to do the film. He he fully committed himself to the role. So this is where I kind of got confused here because Luke Wilson recalled he stayed on set all day and he even sat in on scenes that didn't involve his character. So I thought like, oh yeah, great. Like Gene Hackman, like, yeah, he he decided to do it. He just like went in and 
you know, put his work in and he was just really supportive and helpful. And I read all this nice stuff. And then I started to keep reading. And it, it sounded like in the end, it was a smart move. He took the role. Of course, Gene Hackman wins the Golden Globe for Best Actor. It was like, yeah, uh, and he's excellent in the yeah, movie. He's excellent. It, he got a lot of praise. It was like one of yeah. his highlights Hitlock, of his Twilight role. years. Yeah. Yeah. I would but think it's locked big role. As I was saying Hackman was nearing the end of his career. So another selling point from Wes Anderson was that the film would be fun and relaxing and it didn't transpire that way. And apparently while they were filming, they got into a lot of beef and stuff. And Gene Hackman was just like, you know, telling Wes Anderson, you said this was going to be fun and relaxing and this isn't. And like, he just got really angry at him. And according to Angelica Houston, she, Bill Murray and a few other cast members tried to basically remain protective of Wes Anderson. Oh, and Hackman was really tough to work with. And according to Anderson, there were moments where uh, he was being really difficult with them. And apparently there's some verbal abuse going over, going on over like some really trivial shit. And this led to a lot of the actors avoiding Gene Hackman on set and to <laughs> Bill Murray coming in on his day off to just watch over Wes Anderson during his time uh, working with Hackman. Because Bill uh, Murray was, a good dude. Yeah, he was really protective of Wes Anderson and also like just knew like Bill Murray doesn't take shit and he just <laughs> wasn't taking Gene Hackman shit. No. That same generation. Yeah. That no, you know, like it's the same shit. Like yeah. if Bill Murray can deal with it, Gene Hackman can do it. Gene Hackman just became like the South Park version of Gene Hackman, where he's like <laughs> Hackman, where he's like yeah. a super villain and he's yeah. trying to stop Christopher Reeve getting stem cells. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah. I yeah, maybe that. so. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's That's a shame. It's a shame. I mean, he's great in this yeah. film. I mean, there it's are like a flip of the Burt Reynolds thing. Absolutely. Reynolds, yeah. PTA seemed to be more in the wrong there. Yeah. And here, there's no Gene Hackman being yeah. a sort of grouchy old man. And it's a shame because he, he is really good, but there are elements that, like you know, <laughs> the character's not likable at times. No, not at all. Like he's a racist like a uh, piece of shit at times and just a horrible <laughs> father and just like, yeah, I know the whole story. It's like this whole story of like redemption and stuff. And I know it's that sort of funny thing. Like it's hard, it's hard to like, because we were talking about, you know, joking about, you know, daddy issues earlier a second ago, you know, and I start to think about some of the stuff that my dad did or my mom has done, you know, in the past. And you, you get really pissed off about these sort of things, but it's such a struggle to really like just cut that off of like, you know, like fuck my parent for doing that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to like let go. And this stories are really like, uh, I think that's what I appreciate about it. Cause there's a lot of that, like, you know, if you deal, you deal with like issues with your parents and stuff, like um, it's a, like a story of redemption for a certain character and, you know, they're never going to really redeem themselves, but like, mm. There, you know, there's as but much we as can we can move try. forward. Yeah, we try to move. You know, forward. accepting your path and moving forward Absolutely. to a new equilibrium. You don't have to forgive and forget. It's not yeah. that clean cut. But this yeah. is your family. Yeah, and you yeah, you yeah. have to fucking deal with them. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the mother. The lovely Angelica Houston. I absolutely. The love always her. great Angelica She's Houston. So Ethelene, so aka Ethel Tenenbaum. Much like Gene Hackman, the role of Ethel was written with Angelica Houston in mind. And Angelica Houston was one of the actors who avoided Gene Hackman on set. Uh, she had a that's she, funny. She had some issues with him on the first day. Hackman and Houston appeared in a scene together. Angelica Houston had to slap him, but she slaps him in the film. And later said that the slap was real. I hit him a really good one. I saw the imprint of my hand on his cheek, and I thought he's going to kill me. 
<laughs> oh god <laughs> but what i say is good on you angelica Houston, because it's sort yeah, of like payback. Again. it's payback for smacking sharon stone for real while they were filming the quick and the dead oh did he do that shit yeah patreon plug here myself and arianne talked about the That's quick and movie. the dead head over there bonus episodes uh as we said earlier five dollars or more four pounds or more Get your bonus episodes, patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. It's one of Arianne's favorite films, A Quick and the Dead, Sam Raimi's film. It's a very fun, uh, weird, revisionist Western film uh, made by a man who made the evil dead. And it's <laughs> it, 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 it's just like all over it. It's really good. Very fun movie. But yeah, there's a scene where like he smacks Sharon Stone, I think with the glove, but he does it like without telling her. He just does it and just to get her fired up in the scene and it works and you can see it, but she looks like she wants to burn a hole through him. Like, you know, she's just, like, she's so I hate, angry. Uh, I hate and that shit. Just, I yeah. hate the idea with like, Oh, you gotta make it real. You gotta make it real. It's like, yeah. you have no faith in your actors yeah. or yeah. It's just, it's really, it's just not, it's not professional. Yeah. Imagine you did that. At like, you know, an, a film that is an office at the yeah. end of the day, it's the same sort of thing you're working together you want to just go around fucking slapping someone yeah, just yeah. to like wake him up i know he's like an old school actor and i i know that that sort of shit wouldn't fly as much as you know today as it did back then and you kind of put yourself into like you know into the care of these people that you're with and yeah. you know trying to get the best out of each other but that's it's such a strange thing it's sort of like i i the first time i heard about like on Django when um when Leo cut his hand open and then he just rubs, just kept going. Like, he just kept going and he rubbed like his blood all over Carrie Washington's face. And she like had no idea he was going to do that. And it's so disgusting. And then you find out like, it's one thing if he, he's doing that in the film, but then you find out he did it for real because he accidentally cut himself and he just kept going and they just left it in the movie. And it's just like, yeah. good God, man, what <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Call cut. <laughs> fucked up. Take a break. Um, Actually, something like that kind of happens in this film uh, where something happens just sort of like spur the moment improvisation. 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 So, yeah, during... (laughs) Actually, this is something else that happened. During the filming of uh, Margot's birthday scene, like when she was a little kid in the opening scenes and Angelica Houston's holding the birthday cake, one of the candles caught her hair on fire? No. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and according to like Wes Anderson, Kamara Polana was the one who actually extinguished the blaze before like Angelica Houston was seriously injured. Oh, good. So, congrats to Kamara. Could, like big ups, yeah. man. Saving the day. That's horrible, man. That would be terrifying. That could have been really bad. Yeah. Angelica Houston said that during production, like Wes Anderson gave her like photographs of his mother who like Ethelene was like, in the movie was an archaeologist. So here we go. That's one of the things coming back, these real things. And Mm. Houston said West would send pictures of his mother in aviator jackets or archaeological digs. And uh, he very specifically wanted me to wear a certain locket. And finally, I asked him, Wes, am I playing your mother? (laughs) And Anderson replied, like, like, no, 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 that's not the case, no. No, yeah, what? Yeah, you want yeah, to go no. out? <laughs> Will you be my mother, please? Yeah, please, She's please. Uh, will you, yeah. yeah, I mean, he kept her kept her around. Yeah, she's she great, becomes man. a regular here, which I'm glad. Angelica Houston's great. She's really good, man. She's so she's like funny when she needs to be funny. She's like 
serious and like just believable like yeah i've always liked her a lot like i mean of course like yeah. Letitia adams but like just any family. Of her the, other the grifters well. yeah i love i think she's great and she's so good she even i'm and i'm glad she's still around like she popped up in john wick three and she's excellent in that movie <laughs> yeah um she's just great yeah yeah i buy her as a mother as well in this like she she just seems also like, not very likable, but she yeah, had not her, very likable. But she's the person who like really pull, like holds that family together, really. Yeah, well. and she had the soft side. You see that with mm-hmm. her relationship with Danny Glover. Yeah, and you need that, and that more than you ever get with Royal. Yeah, you know she had love to give. She just never, you know, she got caught stuck in a, a bad think, situation. Do you think her book was any good <laughs> about her genius kids? No. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely obnoxious. I, I thought it was pretty funny how like you, you see all the characters, they're like all seen as these like sort of literary minded people and like smart and blah, blah, blah. But like anytime you see them reading something, it's always one of their the other person's books. You know, yeah. it's not like it's always someone else's book like that, yeah. that they know. They well, only like when you finally shit. when you finally I don't know if it's meant to be bad. But like Owen Wilson, <laughs> Eli Cash's book. I got it's about it's that. bad, right? It's yeah. meant to be bad. Yeah, I got that. And then he's about freaking that, about yeah. about the review where he's like, <laughs> "Why would you specifically say I'm not a genius?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Bit. Yeah, and then you find out he's talking to Margot, and she's yeah. like, "I just <laughs> throw that word around lightly." <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the kids. We got Ben Stiller as Chaz Tenenbaum. Uh, ben Stiller was actually a big fan of Bottle Rocket, and he liked the film so much that that's why he cast Owen Wilson in The Cable Guy, which led to their longtime friendship and working relationship. So that's cool. I didn't pick that up when we did the Bottle, sorry, the Cable Guy episode, but uh, that was a fun episode. Go back and find that. Uh, it's a really good one. We liked it. Nobody else did. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I like the Chaz. He's like always running from his past. It's a very sad sort of character, you know. Um, he's always seen in this Adidas tracksuit and. I always thought it was kind of weird, like when I was younger. Then I start to think of him as being someone. Yeah, he's running. He's running, and he needs he's to literally be, running. Like, he, he needs. He's to always be, ready to go. Yeah, he needs to be ready, and he's just wearing this thing, like this. I don't know. It's just a tracksuit of something that you they look like. Run DMC. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. My, that's it. Uh, Adidas tracksuit. <laughs> that's exactly why he's wearing it. Um, yeah. So his wife dies in the plane crash, and. His kids and the dog were in in there as well with him. He himself as well, and they all survived. But yeah, it's kind of so sad. He's like he's, he's just, like guilty. He felt guilty yeah. as well as he's grieving. Yeah, always sort of afraid as well. Like you know, needing to be prepared in case the worst case scenario happens. <laughs> yeah, it's really <laughs> like watching him do the uh, what do you call it? The fire drills and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, just like timing all of them, and he's yeah. just like ruining. I mean, I think Gene Hackman said it. Like you can't need to you know put in some recklessness in their upbringing yeah kids need yeah, to be yeah. kids and yeah. angelica uses like the terrible advice <laughs> <laughs> there's a balance, yeah, there's a balance you can't yeah. you can't like shield these kids forever yeah absolutely. you can't let them do whatever the fuck they want because they turn into royal yeah or like any of the other kids <laughs> yeah no it's great and this is post 9-11 yeah right? Uh, so it well, hit a bit hard. I don't know if it was made. It's but made it came pre-9-11, out. but it came out post-9-11. So that bit hit 
quite it always yeah. hits that nerve. It always reminds me of that because it came out around the same time. Mm-hmm. It's like a Rain Over Me. You ever see that Adam Sandler? Movie? I was just thinking about that. I was just about to say it reminds me a lot of something that we'll probably talk a little bit about on the next PTA episode. Yeah, because we're going to be talking about someone's dramatic career. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just talking about Rain Over Me with Julia, and it's a very similar sort of idea of you know a tragic loss of your wife in a plane accident. But this one was like, I don't know, like their own private plane as well. And I guess Mm. Chad's this little business was from little kid. He kind of reminds me of uh, of Julia, my wife's uh, older brother, like. Really? similar sort of look as well because like when he was younger he had like he had you know, curly hair <laughs> like that but also he was like the um firstborn and like the business minded or like you know he always had little schemes when he was a little kid and stuff that julia would tell me about it and just sounds kind of funny and always kind of like reminds <laughs> me of that yeah i like the uh the the actual the the young kid i feel like i've referenced the show before on this podcast mm. but the youngest kid yeah it's from uh, Oliver Bean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You watch so, Oliver Bean? The kid who plays Ari. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. And I just yeah. like, I would, every time I see him, I'm like, that show was really good. And it, only, <laughs> it was like, you know, only lasted a season. And yeah. I think about it. It comes into yeah, my head. Yeah. And twice. They haven't yeah. done much. The kids are Ari and Uzi, and they're played by Grant Rosenmayer and Jonah Mayerson. <laughs> Funny, they both have Mayer in their surnames. Uh, yeah, they, they're great in this film. They're, they're like exactly what I was talking about like last week with, or sorry, not last week, the last, uh, Wes Anderson episode where, you know, writes kids and the way he shoots kids and like, they're not annoying. Yeah. They're not annoying. They're like, but they're always really different and interesting and just kind of like strange and funny. Like it's, it's the same, same with the young Tenenbaums, like the kids who play the young Tenenbaums, they're like Mm -hmm. just all really funny. Like, uh. Yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, Chaz, well, he's got his tracksuit. So originally, like every time he was supposed to visit the cemetery, which they go a couple of times because his wife is buried at that that same cemetery. Yeah, uh, the black tracksuit. Well, originally he was going to wear the black tracksuit every time, but Ben yeah. Stiller thought it'd be a funnier reveal if he only wore it at Royal's funeral. Which, <laughs> which is, it really was like I think if yeah I think you wouldn't have noticed it. Like it was such a stark difference, like going from that one to the other. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That it makes more really sense. Because he would dress up. <laughs> he wouldn't dress up for royal funeral. Chaz's Dalmatian mice. So, according to Wes Anderson, they're just regular mice with spots applied using Sharpie, but <coughs> they somehow didn't harm any of the mice. I think that was kind of fucked mm. up, though. Like. That's a sharpie on the mice. Like, that's kind of the fact that being Scrooge, where he wants to staple the the like <laughs> oh, yeah, the antlers little, onto the mice, the antlers <laughs> on the mice. Yeah. So fucked up. <laughs> uh, another Bill Murray classic. <laughs> the BB. All right, so the BB shot in in Chaz's hand is actually based on a real life incident where Owen Wilson shot his older brother Andrew in the hand with a BB gun when they were kids. And the BB in the hand shown in the movie is not Ben Stiller's hand. It is actually Andrew Wilson's hand. It's still there. (laughs) It's still there. Oh, my God. And that wouldn't be Andrew Wilson's only appearance in this film. We'll quickly get those out of the way as he plays the biological hick father of Margot Tenenbaum (coughs) um, that chops her finger off. Yeah. And he plays one of the announcers alongside Wes Anderson of the big tennis match featuring 
Luke Wilson as Richie, the bomber. Tinnabomb. The bomb. I hit my boy. I love. It's such a I good role, man. It's such a good role. Such I adore role. Luke Wilson in this movie. He just played that. I mean, he started to do it um, in Bottle Rocket, mm-hmm. um, but it's not as. I mean, they're, sim- they're very similar characters. But now that I think about it, or at least their arc is similar in terms of they're depressed and they just need a girlfriend. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then oh, I can think of very few people that play that quiet, like overbearing sadness. Yeah, that Luke Wilson doesn't doesn't sort of let pour out so much as he just carry yeah, yeah and it's just a look maybe it's just a look at, i love the long hair and the beard obviously yeah, yeah. um Such i should do that for halloween one day hair. it's just classic that's just i love his character one makes i think it, it's like it makes the movie for me especially because it gets quite dark later on obviously with the attempted suicide mm. and that's my favorite moment and i'm gonna kill myself tomorrow and him shaving his head and doing the whole thing and I remember talking to a friend at uni once uh, who really hated that scene. And I remember mm. we, we went back and forth with that scene because he was just like, he felt like it belittled the act by doing it in a Wes Anderson style. To be honest, like, Julia rewatched this film with, with me. I knew it was coming and I kind of, Julia, had only, I think she had only seen the film once and she like, I guess kind of forgot about it and then you know just re-watching it and it's it it's, it's got a big needle drop which we'll get to with the music yeah but it's yeah there's something about that scene that i i can see i didn't think about when i was watching it because like i just know the scene and i kind of like i know it's it's sad and it's kind of like this classic scene in my head but at the mm. same time it can almost feel like it's glorifying um, because of the music, because of the needle drop, because of it being Wes Anderson, because of uh, the whole leading up to it, it just feels, I don't know, there is something kind of strange about it. I could see how someone could feel that way. You know? I could, you no, know, yeah, I could understand it, but. Because it's like I, one of those things when you're 15, oh man, it's so deep, it's so deep. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, but, but yeah, I mean, but I thought it would call then and I think it's cool now. And I've, I feel like I'm. I've dealt with those emotions before and I yeah. don't feel like they uh, glorify them. I feel like they, they sort of revel in it a little bit, but in a cathartic mm. sense, just like just listening to Elliot Smith is an act of catharsis. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, you listen to sad music when you're sad. No, I think it's, I don't, I don't know. I still find that scene quite powerful because it's, done like that because yeah. it comes out of nowhere in a West Anderson movie and it's something a lot of families have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I told I, I could totally see it, but it's a scene that works for me, but it's a character that works for me, the character yeah, that I yeah. must relate to. So I think it, like I, he's I like he's, how it plays now. He's just really good in this film, man. It's like a top tier role for Luke for Wilson. Sure. Probably like one of his greatest roles he's ever really done. Uh, yeah he's believed like it's crazy i don't see why he's not or at least like i mean he's a bit older now but like in that sort of time period he wasn't doing more like dramatic or bigger roles and he sort of like got lost in this sort of weird you know like i'll be the main character in some frat boy film or or i'll be a uh you know (laughs) like the love interest in like you know legally blonde yeah i don't i i see it like these guys came up during the indie boom of the 90s. Yeah. 
which quickly died in the 2000s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously, like, you know, Wes Anderson and PTA, those people were there, but the only people that had started, like, 10 mm. years prior. And, like, Owen Wilson found his, you know, uh, footing in comedies, Wedding Crashers, and stuff like that. And so did, like, a John C. Riley with Step Brothers. They yeah. found their thing, and I feel like Luke Wilson never did. He's had a few really great movies and moments like Idiocracy which yeah, you, you would throw up there. Yeah, absolutely. Idiocracy, he's great in Idiocracy but doesn't... It know, doesn't have to be him really because it can kind of be anybody in that role. That he's Yeah, he's, role. he's good in it exactly but that role isn't as meaty as like yeah. Uh, yeah, this one. So it's, yeah, uh, there's still time. He's still around. Someone yeah, yeah I know he's still. I know he's still in stuff. But he's, like, he's more. I think it's because he was a bit of a hanger on of just by the fact that like Owen, Owen is like there's something the about writer. Owen. Yeah, and like he's. I think Luke Wilson's actually probably the better actor of the two, but Owen Wilson's yeah. like the one that has more charisma and like um, more interesting looking and like there's something. Wow! About wow! And like you know he got that he got the catchphrase yeah so you can just like you can just kind of pull him and put him in so many different things and he can do kind of both and he's like really good but because he was a more popular one luke wilson sort of like is the younger brother who's sort of like you know obviously has more uh talent than the older brother andrew and just like you know it's just sort of there but it's weird because he's like he's good looking as hell man he's so good looking in this <laughs> film as well like he's got great hair and bottle rocket and in this film and then when he shaves it and he shaves his head like shaves his face and shit he just looks great as well it's just like i don't know i don't get it he should have been like i felt like he could have been more big time but i feel like weird. uh when i look at luke wilson it's like looking at bruce campbell yeah absolutely like, you should have been the, yeah there's something the guy. Of, yeah i don't get it like yeah it's weird hollywood missed out anyway for richie's big meltdown which is such <laughs> a good scene the yeah. bombers meltdown they shot this like at the forest hill stadium in queens and they added like a ten thousand square foot astroturf there so the forest hill stadium is a weird sort of thing where it's like a concert like venue slash like events venue where originally its purpose was for like big tennis matches. I think they built it for like some Billie Jean King, like tennis match back in the seventies or something. And uh, that's sort of the reason why like Wes Anderson wanted to shoot there because it's like, he uh, is trying to encapsulate that sort of seventies vibe, but in, in real, like, well in modern time at 2001. Um, But like he, he like had to like add AstroTurf there because that place is just like mostly used for like big events like you know the Rolling Stones or like shit like that will play there. Yeah. Um, Tennis. <laughs> uh, Luke Wilson turned down the role of a role in uh, Ocean's Eleven to appear in this film, which is very interesting. He could have been yeah. one of the one of the one Ocean of the one of one of the eleven. Yeah, I I would have gone with this. I don't yeah. think you get much out of it unless you're fucking George Clooney you know brad pitt or like matt damon you're not gonna get much out of those movies yeah absolutely you'll just be another guy and you're one of the group got to really shine in this film exactly um i don't have the name names of all the young actors and stuff who played the younger versions of the tenenbaums except for the one who played richie just because it was kind of funny that it was uh amadeo totoro who is the son of john totoro really yeah so oh fuck famous dad uh, he's cool, cool. really funny looking as well. It's really funny, especially the opening scene where Royals talking to him about how he's like, you know, 
leaving his mother and stuff and the little kid's just like squinting the whole time it's so strange like he's just yeah. like squinting and i'm like why are you squinting like who told you to squint like that because <laughs> he doesn't do it in other scenes when they show him it's so strange <laughs> that's um, funny all right so you know like richie <laughs> <laughs> all right so this whole the whole thing where we start to get into the margot shit where richie oh here we come <laughs> is finding out about um margot's affair and uh bill murray's character raleigh st Clair, has uh hired someone to look into what's going on with margot and finds out all this dirt about her like that she smokes and blah 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 and mm. finds out that there is an affair and then like Luke Wilson just gets up and like, you know, punches that glass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Improvised on the spot by Luke Wilson. No way. And that's why the scene cuts so quickly to Ra- uh, Richie and Raleigh talking up close. Could he fucked up in that? Well, Wes Anderson, I think just thought he hurt himself and he didn't know he was going to do it. So he like, just like, I guess just cut like immediately. So they, uh, they wanted to keep it in. Cause it's such a, like a good moment. Like he just yeah. freaks out. and punches the glass. <laughs> It's really it's perfect, funny. Yeah, yeah. But also sort of like Jesus again, very punch drunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird how many like weird things just start to weave in and out each week. All right. So Richie's Hulk Mordecai. So <laughs> The original Hulk used to play Mordecai was actually apparently kidnapped during the shooting <laughs> and held for ransom. I don't know if someone caught it like when it was flying. But this shot in New York could well could New York had a bunch of Hulk flying. Yeah, around. yeah, it was in New York. Yeah. But apparently someone captured one of the Hawks or whatever and they kept it and they were gonna like holding it for money basically shoot this Hawk in the head yeah give me Gene Hackman paycheck <laughs> or the bird get this it's like dude he, he's getting paid to scale you're getting like not very much Shit. money <laughs> uh, but yeah the production really couldn't wait for him to be returned so they, <laughs> they just cut another got one? another bird which explains the white feathers because it's a different bird okay did they get the other bird back <laughs> i don't know so what the fuck really they just let up. it rot yeah. oh man using sharpies to draw mice they're losing birds this yeah. production's out of control the animals <laughs> are out of control <laughs> the animals are out of control that's what they should at the end instead of you know no animal was harmed into making this picture because that's bullshit. It just, they were out of control. <laughs> out of control. Out of control. Out, 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 of, out of control. Out of control. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Reference. <laughs> now on to the woman that our young Richie loves, Gwyneth Paltrow. Margot, the blonde goth Tenenbaum. That's um, your sister, dude. She's your sister, dude. She's got to be. And you made out with her, man. What's wrong with you, you pervert? Wind it up, wind it up. I've got a whole section for it. Yes. <laughs> sort of. That's sort of your sister. That's sort dude. of your sister, dude. Sort of. So this whole semi-incestuous subplot um, <laughs> is uh, Anderson's nod to director Jean-Pierre Melville's 1950 film Les Enfants Terribles, 
Terribles. I don't know. Terribles. I'm so bad at doing French. Um, about a similar relationship between an actual brother and a sister. And so he's sort of, and I don't know if they actually go into like the whole thing in that film or not, but I think it's just like sort of implied in this sort of weird shit. So, and also yeah. another inspiration was from Wes Anderson's childhood friends who, uh, one of his childhood friends who loved his sister and Anderson just like, I guess was just really interested in the incest ta- taboo. And all right. He did Does he have a sister? I don't know. Cause I'm like, yeah, are you saying <laughs> Not this anymore. is your friend? Is this your friend? This is my um, sister wife. Yeah, this was my this was my friend. <laughs> uh it was my friend I was into. Yeah, sure. That's what yeah, they're no, I'm asking what, for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, but he acknowledged that the re- relationship became a little bit more believable when the story was revised to make Margot adopt it. Which is the only that should have thing, been there from the beginning. Not the only, only way thing that saves this, because otherwise yeah. it is it, it's weird already. It's completely weird. It's your this yeah. is literally like this is your sister. It doesn't matter because, if you're adopted. This is literally your sister. Yeah, and this is the worst one yet. At that point, isn't it? yeah, because all the other yeah. ones there was moments of like I don't know. I feel like Clueless, Clueless is still a bit Clueless creepier. Is, yeah, Clueless is a bit weird. Could they really gloss over it? Yeah. They just don't. They don't even. He's just the guy, but he's like always oh, in the house. Yeah. There's like yeah, because Clueless was like stepbrother. That's like the Pornhub version. Um, <laughs> this is like it's like it's not about blood. It's the fact that you were like raised yeah, together, and you That's were supposed the- to be brother and sister. And it, it's like harping back on that whole thing we were talking about, like with Rushmore, where you have, uh, like you know, you're talking about the teacher being like you know your first, your first like love. love. It's the first person you kind of like you know might grow a crush on. You're like getting used to your hormones and stuff and blah blah blah. And you're like yeah, see yeah. a woman and you're just. Like, oh, like, you know, I'm here all the time. She's always there and she seems like she cares for me and stuff. So you like, you know, it's it's shit that happens. But this is like strange because this is like you're you've developed this relationship over time as a child and just grew to completely love this character. It's so odd. It's odd, but again, I guess they, they give it some leeway i guess with the adoption thing and i don't i i I do i like the way it's played by those two i like really believe it it's really kind of i feel like you could have done it any other way it's just this on like this a sort of forbidden romance but it could have been anything yeah that like you know that they were always in love but something is in the way that they just can't they just can't yeah um and maybe this is a bit too much yeah yeah because that's it, this dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it even like ends on the, on the. I think we're just gonna have to be secretly in love with each other. Which is yeah. also a great line. Yeah. And it's like, which is, it's he's still like that he's gonna sort kill of thing. Himself. It's just like that's. I don't. That's not enough. You need some. That's not enough. <laughs> you need this to like just be over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he's just gonna end up killing himself or something like like exactly. literally doing it the next time or I yeah. don't know like. He tried already, and he wouldn't have survived if he didn't get found by Dudley. Like, yeah, yeah, that's oh, yeah. Oh my god, it's, I thought this was pretty funny. The brand of cigarettes that Margot smokes are called Sweet Afton, and they were only sold in Ireland. And uh, Wes Anderson did, did this as like an intentional thing to like just really make her secret smoking habit even stranger because she like yeah. started it so young, like she was just like a little kid. 
that's funny. As we mentioned on the uh, Rushmore episode, the idea for Margot losing her finger was originally written for Margaret Yang, and yeah, they just ended the up going finger. with it, so they did it for this one. I'm glad they kept that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Margot's got all of her like weird flings and marriages. It's really funny. When I was reading in about some of this stuff, like Wes Anderson. You remember, like, <laughs> the scene when she's like married to like the Jamaican dude? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she had to fade with him. Yeah, apparently, like Wes Anderson was playing bass on the on the reggae song that's in the background. <laughs> <laughs> of course he was. <laughs> then there, there's like so you have the whole string of people, and then the, this kind of came up when I was doing research on this, and it's very strange. I felt like I read about it a couple years ago, and now it's back, and it's just in my head, and it won't leave. All right, so there's a shot of <laughs> Peter Bradley, uh, who is this Charlie Rose type character, mm. um, fondling Margot backstage, like when Mar- yeah. like Mar- they're going through all of Margot's sort of like past flings. And uh, she was obviously like on some, I guess, a, some PR tour there for yeah, her plays tour. or something. Play, huh? Yeah. And <laughs> like, you just see this guy like fondling her and kissing up on her backstage. And it's just like this weird sort of throwaway thing. But they already showed this Peter Bradley guy earlier in the film. And he's talking to uh, Eli Cash and oh yeah yeah. so it's very charlie rose like all right so wes anderson had been on charlie rose a couple of times already yeah charlie rose is a creep right yeah (laughs) he even he even uh hosted charlie rose's show at one point wes anderson like as a guest host he took over and it's just so strange like i don't know if he was doing this because he was like friends with charlie rose and just was doing a bit of a nod to him but then there was just this weird thing like then why would you make him do that yeah (laughs) and it doesn't it doesn't really make sense and then like when 2017 came around and the whole me too movement started up and charlie rose was one of the people who got like me too yeah over alleged sexual assaults for years it yeah really like it really became a talking point. It was like, dude, why did Wes Anderson do that? Like, cause yeah. this guy's did obviously meant to be Charlie he, Rose. I don't yeah. know. Like apparently uh, I, I did read somewhere that like Gwyneth Paltrow, like didn't want to go on Charlie Rose's show anymore. Like, I don't know. Like she had been on his show. She probably at one point. knew. And she dealt so, with like Harvey Weinstein and yeah. shit. And like, yeah, Charlie Rose is a piece of shit. And like, that's funny. That connect like, Reminds me of two things. One, obviously, Magnolia, Philip Baker Hall's character. Yeah. Um, the TV show host. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I've seen some Charlie Rose interviews with Wes and PTA. Yeah. And, like, obviously, but because before I knew about all the, you know, shit Charlie Rose had done, all the sexual assault and stuff, I just knew, I remember watching an interview he did with PTA and Adam Sandler for Punch Drunk. Yeah. And hating him from that point on because he kept putting down Adam Sandler in front of him. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, oh, you know, you're you know, you're known for your dumb, you know, you know, frat boy comedy. You do like fart jokes and funny voice. And Paul, Paul, why? I can't even understand. Why would you work with this guy? It's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, fuck you. We're friends, and yeah. he's an actor, and I'm a director, and it was so annoying. And then from that point, I was like, this dude's a dick. Yeah, no. And then it gets validated. You know, it's weird even though, po- even worse. Yeah, because like 
I feel like after this film, Wes still went on Charlie Rose. It does. It's so strange. I don't really get because there's even more layers to it. There's a whole special feature. If you remember, ladies and gentlemen, where you are giving away Criterion, Criterion, the Criterion version of uh, Royal Tenenbaums. It was at the top of the episode. Uh, you can win a copy. So just another reminder. But uh, yeah, on the Criterion Collection Blu-ray for the Royal Tenenbaums, there is a special feature where this character, Peter Bradley, is interviewing uh, all, the <laughs> all the actors who are like your, your uh, Brian Tenenbaums, your Stephen Dignans, uh. Kumar Pulana, <laughs> Deepak Pulana, like these side characters who have no big, like the biggest one is Kumar. But all mm. these other guys had like just bit roles and he's talking to him about like working on these films. Oh, and you were in this film and that film and blah, blah, blah. What was it like working with Wes Anderson? But he's doing it exactly like Charlie Rose, where he's like the set's still like exactly the same. He's interrupting people. He's asking really stupid questions. And it's like, dude, Wes Anderson, you were talking shit about Charlie Rose this whole time. Why did you still yeah. go to the show? Like, I don't. I don't understand. It is yeah. The are you just saying thing. something about those people, that industry, or it's <laughs> yeah. like Charlie Rose? Did you see yeah. something? Did, did you, you Paltrow experience something? Yeah, like what are we doing? Yeah. yeah, because yeah. then yeah, 2017 happens and everybody's dude, dude, what? He called it. Maybe <laughs> it's just it's like something in the air. Yeah, so strange. That's fucked up. All right. Well, we know we know Margot has many relationships, but the one person that causes all the strife between uh, Richie and his tennis career and losing his mind basically is the fact that she married Bill Murray as Raleigh St. Clair. Bill Murray. <laughs> in fact, like he's really great in this film and I love this character, but he's not doing as much in this film. And I yeah. almost kind of wish there was a little bit more of him. Because Bill yeah. Murray's so great. And it's like, why he's have Bill great. Murray in your film if you're not going to use him a lot more? But, but he's really again, test, Yeah, and testament to Bill Murray, he's memorable. In, yeah. Even though he's not in that many scenes. And I appreciate that he could take a back seat. Yeah, though. It's like absolutely, someone yeah. like Bill Murray isn't trying to like, no, no, like hog the limelight. He used really well. And he's, again, a very quiet, small, bad character. Yeah. Like, he's nice to Margot. Yeah. But... She doesn't love him. And it's like, you know, he just, but, and he'd let her go and he has to. And it's yeah. just really weird, but like, it should be creepier than it is. Yeah. But because it's Bill Murray, it works. Same with the Gwyneth Paltrow, Luke Wilson thing. It yeah. should be creepy, but the way it played, mm. it works. Yeah. There's that great line where he's just like, you've made me into a cockle. <laughs> literally so i was gonna say he's like he's so like good. a proto like cuck like cuck fucking reddit simp yeah like yeah. the kind of guy reddit would fucking tear <laughs> apart because he like holds his girlfriend bag yeah yeah you know yeah god is so good that line and uh, you know it's funny like gene hackman's like his, his shitty character royal is sometimes like the one who comes out with some of the most like you know like legitimate sort of things where he's just like yeah, profound being love. yeah profound things where he's just like you know I really don't like the way you're treating Raleigh he's he's like a really nice guy like yeah he, is. he just says that <laughs> to you know Margot and she feels so bad <laughs> just like straight up yeah. yeah well Raleigh Sinclair is based on a neurologist and writer named Oliver Sacks Wes Anderson was a big fan of Sacks four part documentary from 1998 called The Mind Traveler. And his research assistant, Dudley, which is also very 
insanely uh, memorable. Really, oh like, the kid, them the together, dead eyed kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was originally supposed to be played by Wes Anderson's friend, and uh, who's also an actor and director named Wally Wolodarsky. But he ended up being busy directing his own film called <sighs> Sorority Boys, which is <laughs> an absolutely horrible movie. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen it. But it's I bad. know. I mean, with a title like that, I don't want to see it. I'll give you a quick little rundown. You have yeah, uh, go for it. the main character, like the the oldest son from that show, Seventh Heaven, um, okay. which I can't remember his name. It's like Barry something, maybe. Sure. There's Michael Rosenberg Rosenbaum, who plays Lex, Lex Luthor in Smallville. So, <laughs> Two Lex Luthor in one episode. Yeah, here we go. I'm um, so excited. <laughs> he He's in it. And then there's uh, Harlan Williams. So these three guys decide to go to a sorority oh, dressed no. as girls. And oh, I just looked up the poster. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So yeah, there's some cross-dressing. Really? Yeah, um, it's a fucking horrible movie. Very stupid. And there's the whole thing of like, oh, we learn like, what it's like to be dressed as a woman. So Like, like Tiffany, but yeah. not... Not but not good. good. <laughs> not good. This yeah. looks like yeah. utter shit. Yeah, it, it's like a mix. Yeah, it's like in between white chicks, which is so bad it's funny. Yeah, and Tootsie, which is like actually quite you know, it's a good examination yeah. of like that sort <laughs> of idea. Um, needless to say, we won't be doing a sorority boys episode unless if you guys are dumb enough to pay us fifty quid to do so. Or what I was think it? I would say no. Or twenty five pounds. Would... I don't remember I think what it is. I, I don't want to watch yeah. this. I don't, I don't really want to watch it either. The poster is very, very, very familiar. It looks like another poster. Yeah. It looks like the Charlie Angels poster. <laughs> well, to replace Wolodarski, oh Anderson God. got Stephen Lee Shepard, uh, who had been recommended to him by his friend Judd Apatow after Shepard appeared in Freaks and Geeks as Harris Trinsky. Uh, and these are one of his two only two acting roles, I think. He might have appeared in an episode of the IT crowd. Um, that's debatable, and I think he might have lent his voice for something. But he's had very few roles, and it doesn't make sense because I always remember him from Freaks and Geeks. He's like the super mm-hmm. nerdy kid who like has like playing Dungeons and Dragons and all that sort of shit. That's sort of like their one other weird crew of friends. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he's very funny and he's very funny as Dudley. Like I love like, <laughs> what is it? Like he, he's like, the subject is uh, colorblind. And he also seems to have an acute sense of hearing. And he's just like, wait, I'm colorblind. <laughs> and he's like <laughs> way cr- across the room, like so far away. <laughs> That's funny. So Again, good. it kind of reminds me of, uh, uh, Bill Murray and Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Nice yeah. little reference there. Yeah. All right, let's get into the last couple of characters and we'll kind of wrap up. We have Owen Wilson as Eli Cash. Perfect. Just, I had to save him for last because he just wants to be a fucking tenant bomb. That's all he ever wanted to be. Yeah. He wants to be part of that family so badly. He wants to be a genius. You can't buy your way into genius. Yeah. You have to earn it. <laughs> He's great. The perfect doctor on movie. drugs the whole time. On drugs the whole time. <laughs> I love this like uh, spacey. Because I don't know Owen Wilson, obviously. Yeah. I would love to hang out with Owen Wilson and just see where he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like I've seen what I think is just Owen Wilson. Like right now on Loki, 
he it feels like he's just playing himself. Yeah. But it's like but there's a lot of these like spacey, like drugged up characters, depressed characters. Mm. I would just love to meet him and see what what is there. Yeah. What like wh- who is Owen Wilson? He's such like an enigma. Like an enigma, yeah. enigmatic figure. Exactly. He did try to kill himself in 2007. He did. Yeah. yeah. So it's I don't know. He's a he. Yeah, because like there's, some, there's, something there's there. always some sort of sadness about these characters that he plays, even if they're like because like Dignan is like such a like a wacky character, but it's really sad. And same thing as Eli Cash, like a very sad yeah. character, someone who just wants to be a part of something. And like, there's obviously yeah. something missing from his life. And he's like, the only thing time he felt normal or accepted was when he was hanging out with the Tenenbaums. But he yeah. never got the same recognition as them because he wasn't a Tenenbaum. Yeah. You know? And that's great. That talked about like how much power a name can carry, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't really mean anything because all those people are completely different. Yeah. Or you were talking about his writings and stuff and uh, all that, like the, yeah. the old Custer. So that yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> that was a parody on Cormac McCarthy, basically. Yeah, um, that was supposed to be the whole idea because, like, Cormac McCarthy, that he was just ripping off, is obviously like, like brilliant. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think uh it's his his writing and his storytelling is like really funny like i've tried to read blood meridian so many goddamn times and it's really hard to read um, okay i've not i've not read and, anything. uh it's the way he writes the the story's good and but it's just so intense and it's just like the way he writes it almost i can see why wes anderson would do this as a joke as a parody because it's like someone who like is purposely like um, tried to sound smarter than they actually are, you know. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, and I think they kind of hit that on the head with uh, Eli Cash. It's just hilarious, <laughs> which is funny because that ends up being like what I think a lot of people's interpretations of Wes Anderson films are. <laughs> so, like, so how much yeah. a joke on himself? <laughs> yeah, you know, you have you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. But yeah. Wes Anderson, bro. Yeah. And Eli Cash, because uh, at the <laughs> climax of the film, okay, let's get into this scene. During the wedding scene, uh, there's the scene where Eli crashes his car into the house and he kills <sighs> Buckley, the the young dog of Ari and Uzi, who survived a plane crash, goddammit, but he was yeah. killed by this fucking drugged up piece of shit. This shot was done in a single, it was like one single shot. If you watch it again, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's really complex uh, and it moves from person to person after Eli crashes his car and just kind of gets everyone's sort of like take on the situation. But they had to do it like 20 takes to get the oh, shot shit. right. And the shot that's in the film is apparently a take 18. Uh, so yeah. Thought it was worth it. Yeah. Finally got it in the end. Uh, Danny Glover as Henry Sherman. Boy, good to see Danny Glover. <laughs> He's just always great. I, I like I love, I love Danny Glover. Just lethal weapon. He's great. Yeah, I got angry for Danny Glover when just because I love Danny Glover. I I think my gateway to Danny Glover was Angels in the Outfield. So I you know always. Oh man, always I forgot about Angels now. Because I you know I saw that before I saw Lethal Weapon and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So I always loved him since I was a little kid. Like I always forget how shitty Royal is to him. Like I know it's really this place shitty. of like jealousy, so but then he also like is ra- racist, like really racist. He starts trying to talk jive with them and stuff, and 
like you know henry sherman just keeps his fucking composure it's just like such a, it's like yeah. come on man that's my boy danny glover leave him alone he's like getting too old for this shit <laughs> Brand. uh wes anderson cast danny glover though because he enjoyed his performances in to sleep with anger beloved and witness so he loved those three films witness that's a good movie henry sherman was named after western wes anderson's uh old new york landlord who actually wore blue suits similar to the one that glover wears in the film so very cool <laughs> all right so also rounding out the cast we have kumar palana he's back properly back in this one as well like has Full some character. meat on his character is the family servant pagoda Oh man, it's so funny. I forget about Pagoda, Hello. like the way he, he was like, he's like, this man saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> I What do you say? I've been stabbed by someone or whatever, and this man saved my life. And then he's just like, really? Who, sa- uh, who stabbed you? And he was like, he did. <laughs> <laughs> and then he rushed me to the hospital. <laughs> and then he just brings him to America and like has him working with the family for years. And he's just such a piece of shit. <laughs> like just... <laughs> working <laughs> with Royal behind the family's back and everything. It's so good. But then That's he just funny. stabs Royal again. <laughs> Kamara's great, man. He's so funny. Um, and his son's back in the film again. It's just a bit part as the doctor. Deepak plays a doctor in the film. Uh, mm. And then finally, we have Seymour Cassell, who plays Dusty. Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> A.K.A. Royal's Dr. McClure, who's basically just the guy who works at the... Uh, hotel uh working the elevators that royal convinces to come uh pretend to be a doctor so full of shit all right let's get into the peanuts references here we go the biggest one phil that you missed buckley the dog is a beagle which is a tribute to snoopy (laughs) is snoopy a beagle yeah he's a beagle if that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have put those two together. That's funny. Uh, Christmas Time is Here is another big thing that happens throughout this film. That song plays <laughs> numerous times uh, yeah. from a Charlie Brown Christmas. It can be he- heard throughout the film recur- as a recurring theme for Margot. So she appears a lot and that song is playing. And you hear it quite a bit. And another very, this is a reaching one, but there are some scenes where like particularly like Richie is writing his letters to Eli and there's like characters writing letters and there's narration of the letters being done. This is, uh, it sort of mirrors like Linus who's like writing his letter to the great pumpkin and the great pump, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. So sure. That's a reach, but yeah, I, I buy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Someone did a really good shot of all the like weird Wes Anderson references throughout all of his films. And that was like one that popped up as one. Um, That's cool. So yeah, throughout the movie, everyone wears the same clothing or a variation of the same clothing. So like all the clothing is uh, from the 1970s. For example, like Richie wears a Fila tracksuit with the headband made famous by uh, Bjorn Borg around 1976. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did this intentionally so that like it would appear as the the Tenenbaums were trapped in their era of their heyday yeah. while time moves on. So like at the end of the film, the gravestone actually reads 2001. But uh, much of the, like the settings around, like including the use of like gypsy, gypsy cabs and green line buses were all like keeping in this theme of this time. They've trapped this in the time. 70s. Yeah, they do that well. And it's the same metaphor. It's like like the 
the BB in the hand. It's like it's this thing you can never get rid of. Yeah, like your past. Yeah, you can't. You know, it's always with you. Yeah, and it's always the reminder. Um, yeah, and it's like them being trapped in this. Yeah, and this moment. this is like exactly like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, where it just feels like this is like him really first time playing with this weird time thing that you can't really figure out when his films are supposed to be set in and it just yeah, almost creates a time, time. time. Yeah. a reality that never quite existed yeah only in west anderson movie that they exist there's around 250 sets that were employed during photography with art uh, art director carl sprague saying that a crew avoided sites that would identify new york city because they did shoot in new york city and they are altering street signs um, to even avoid people knowing like where they were shooting and any distinctive things. Wes Anderson intentionally avoided like virtually all shots of skyscrapers or other distinctive New York landmarks. Uh, there's the scene where Royal and Pagoda are in Battery Park at, on the southern tip of Manhattan talking to each mm. other, and Anderson intentionally had Mar stand directly in front of the Statue of Liberty so that it wouldn't show up in the shot. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, because that's all you're looking at, yeah. It sounds like a thing Julia and I used to do. Like she used to take photos of me, like in front of like London landmarks, like just because I'm so tall, like, and I would just be blocking them, <laughs> like me in front Hello. of the shard, and I'm just blocking it completely. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> the Tenenbaum House is at the fictional 111 Archer Avenue in the film that doesn't exist, but the house does exist, and it's located near the famous Sugar Hill area of Hamilton Heights section of Harlem in Manhattan at 339 convent avenue anderson went to the location scouting in in about like may 2000 and he spotted this house and he just admired it for its like storybook quality um it looks a lot like the house that you see in the magnificent ambersons uh the owner willie woods had just bought the house on foreclosure like at a foreclosure auction and he was planning to remodel it but he agreed to delay the project for six months while they did principal photography and it was believed that the production had paid him roughly the same amount that he had paid to buy it. Oh, so, God, he doubled his money. So he effectively got the house for free. Got the house for free, nice. <laughs> the only interior of the house in the movie that isn't from the real-life location is the kitchen scene in which like Royal and Henry are having their big showdown. That was mm-hmm. actually shot in the house next door. According to Wes Anderson, they couldn't fit the camera inside the room, so that led them to shooting through the window. <laughs> So he said they were in there alone and I remember they kind of circled each other a little bit and then they just exploded into it. They let it rip a bit and it was really fun to watch them. <laughs> this is this is really crazy. The Waldorf Astoria was what they used. To, I mean, this this is another thing that it's like Wes Anderson's ongoing obsession with hotels really kicks off in this film. Like, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the Waldorf Astoria was used for the Lindbergh Palace hotel scenes, which doesn't exist. Um, but the hotel only gave Wes Anderson in the production apparently two hours to get all the shots they needed. They fucking like they did a lot in the hotel. Like, yeah, he's there a lot. Like, no wonder Gene Hackman would pit. Yeah. <laughs> stressful. God damn it, Wes. All right, fuck it. Let's get into the soundtrack. Woo. Ooh, oh, boy. What a good one we have again. Uh, the original score, once again, is done by Mark's, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. Another great original score. I mean, it's just the same of what you kind of gotten used to the last few films, like just that quirky music that sort of accompanies early Wes Anderson films. 
Uh, but it, Wes Anderson declared the Royal Tenenbaums to be the most complex and ambitious musical piece I've ever worked on. This soundtrack features rock songs from the 1960s through the 1990s. Uh, there have been two soundtrack albums actually released for this film. There was one done in like 2001 and then a re-release in 2002. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Though not all the songs were used in the film appear on the actual albums. But I mean, it's crazy. It just opens. You got that Mitato Musica Orchestra version of the Beatles' Hey Jude. It just plays the yeah. opening. It's just really good. You got things like Paul Simon's Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Love that song, yeah. Uh, Perfect. Margo's listening to the Rolling Stones album, so you got She Smiled Sweetly playing, but then they also have Ruby Tuesday from that same album. Mm. Uh, Like Eli Cash, he's like, you can hear him listening to uh, The Clash a lot. So Police and Thieves. Yeah, you can hear Police and Thieves very vividly, but then there's also another scene where you can just make out the Rock the Cashba, I think. I think it's Rock the Cashba. Yeah. Is playing. Um, We got Judy is a Punk. By the Ramones. Yeah. So good. Any Ramon, anytime you throw in the Ramones, yeah. I'm down. We've got Wigwam by Bob Dylan. Some Dylan in there. Stephanie Says by the Velvet Underground, which is... <laughs> wow. Such a great song. Beautiful. And then we get into the Nico stuff. All right. So we got The Fairest of the Seasons by Nico. And then <laughs> the two... Bi- I'll end it with the two big needle drops of the film. My favorite one is... Uh, <laughs> These days by Nico. Like yeah, when Margo steps off the fucking bus, that slow motion shot, and it's just that that whole There, there it is, the slow motion as well. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, it such did. a good scene, man. That it's song great, just no. kicks in, those that fucking guitar, Jackson Brown playing. There's a really yeah. funny story I saw about it. Like Jackson Brown forgot that he licensed this the, uh, these days to Wes Anderson for the film and he just went to go <laughs> see it in the theater and he was just like he was like, yeah, there's this great shot. Like, you know, uh, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow gets off this bus. There's like a slow motion. And then like this guitar starts playing. And he's like, hey, I used to play guitar like that. And then he's just like, yeah. Whoa, wait, there's a singer. Oh, that, that's Nico. Oh, that's my song. And Nico, sing- <laughs> I played on this. <laughs> he uh, oh man, I should get some money for this. Fucking drugs, man. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I mean, that's the- Oh, it's a great song. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. It's used. I absolutely love that song. Perfectly yeah. there. Um, but yeah, my one, Obviously. the other one, it's Needle in the Hay yeah. by Elliot. Yeah, just the, da, 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 da. like it, the way it comes in, it's perfect. Yeah. It, it just uh, coats the theme. <laughs> yeah. Like if I wasn't already into Elliot Smith, yeah. you know, pre- because of fucking Goodwill Hunting, this movie would have got me into Elliot Smith. Absolutely. You know, it's just the. Just the, the two great needle drops. Holy yeah. shit! He's getting he's getting really good at them here. Yeah. The soundtrack have been good, but in terms of the needle drops, it's two of its best ones. Absolutely, That's two in be. the same fucking film as well. It's yeah. like Two amazing, like totally memorable ones. Because it's just the setup of it all. You have like I think with the these days, it's the like you know her getting off the bus that slow motion shot just richie's like seeing her and it's just like she clocks him and it's just that whole like it's just so memorable and then you have on the flip side with uh, needle in the hay like another great song ellie smith's amazing and it's like it's sad and it like kind of plays into a little bit of that like i can see how people can be weird about because it it's just like ellie smith you know 
possibly kill himself. himself. You know, that whole yeah. thing. You know, I think it was a bit. They were unsure of what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a weird. It's a weird scene, but it's so beautiful the way it's like uh, the way the way like Rol- Sorry, um, Dudley finds, and it's just like completely <laughs> silent. Like he just like has that shock of scream and then it just kicks into the song properly and then it's like they're rushing to the hospital and stuff and they're all like covered in blood oh and it's just like Jesus Christ man <laughs> so well done <laughs> it's like really going yeah. for it no it's uh, great it's just, one, it's just one of my favorite yeah. things in any any of his movies any movie I think yeah. period it like has stuck with me yeah for over fucking I mean I didn't see it when it came out but it's been 10 years, over 10 years since I first saw it. Yeah. And like, it's one of those, yeah, it's just one of those moments I think will always stick with me. And it's in a good, it's in a good movie. It's a movie I like, yeah. but like, you know, at the end of the day, you're only, it, it's the moments that are going to stick with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, directors are lucky to get one or two out of them. But Wes Anderson had a few. He had yeah. a few in this one. He had at least one for sure in this one. Really good. But there's more to, there's more to come. Um, and that's, I guess, that's what you're good at at the end of the day. I'm going to try and keep it to moment. Because I'm going to get less and less happy with the whole picture. But I'm going to try and just find moments in all his movies like that one. Yeah, yeah. That will stick with me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I know my the next film that we talk about for Wes Anderson has one of my favorite Beatle drops from Wes Anderson as well, which I think we briefly talked about before. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> fucking great moment. Um, yeah. But anyway, this film, yeah, Jesus Christ. Two really good ones. Royal Tenenbaums premiered at New York Film Festival in October 2001 and again was distributed by Touchstone Pictures in its official release in December of 2001. By February, the film had to- doubled the total gross of Rushmore, and it and when it finished its run in June of 2002, it had grossed over 52 million dollars in North America and over 19 million dollars in other territories for a worldwide total of 71.4 million dollars. It will remain Wes Anderson's most successful movie until we reach until 2014's <laughs> Grand Budapest Hotel. So this was like a high for him. As far as box yeah. office, he finally yeah. did it. Yeah, critically, the film was well received. It had very favorable reviews, lots of praise for the cast, particularly Gene Hackman. Again, like you know, he got a lot of love. Many praised the film, calling it a depressive comedy steeped in melancholy. But there was plenty of people calling it out for not being as deep as Wes Anderson probably thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> Alongside Gene Hackman's Golden Globe win, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson were nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Yeah. Yeah, so they got they got some got some love. It's very strange. There's another there's another thing that links both Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson that neither one of them have won an Oscar. I know numerous uh nominations, but Never won. Yeah, Crazy. I really hope that that's ridiculous. But honestly, it's ridiculous. All right, we're closing up here. So the film's lasting legacy. Obviously, it's one of Wes Anderson's most notable works. We've already said it. It's one of his most beloved. It inspired many trends in fashion, and even it inspired the TV show Arrested Development. Apparently, uh, with well, I can see yeah, that. Yeah, the whole narration of the show and just the way the show <laughs> follows each character throughout. Jason Bateman described it as arrest uh, described arrest and development as the Royal Tenenbaums shot like cops. And again, <laughs> two weeks in a row that cops has been referenced. Fucking weird. 
it's not Wait, something we really what's happening like we don't talk about like, are we building towards something i don't know <laughs> what you gonna do john when they come for you are we bad talking boy. about bad boys <laughs> bad boy. yeah here we go <laughs> i found the connection I'm so confused Alec Baldwin said that uh, after the, he saw the film, he said it was arguably one of the most original movies in tone and style since Robert Altman's MASH. Uh, he went on to model his performance of the character Jack uh, Donahue from 30 Rock after Gene Hackman's speech and movements as Royal Tenenbaum. But yeah, pretty sure. influential film. I can see it. Yeah. All right, here we go. We're at the end. And as we promised... Ding. Time to Ding. fucking rank these films. <laughs> fucking right, rank them, bro. Let's do it. Phil and I, before this, what well, we had the last the last film was uh, I was for Rushmore. You were for Boogie Nights. I was yeah. for two for Wes, and you were for one Wes, one PTA. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Favorite third film. It's a tough one this week. It's Very a tough, tough one. one. And we knew that it's going into re- it. It's really hard. And I feel like I'm going to be really one-sided throughout. And I don't know. <laughs> Ooh. I can go first if you want me to. No, I'll go. I love the Royal Tenenbaum. Mm. I think I'm still going to say Magnolia. All right. Bill, believe it or not. I am actually on Magnolia's team this week. It's a hard one, though. It's a very hard one. Royal Tenenbaums is a really fucking good movie, but I feel like Magnolia uh, is just a little bit better. Just a little bit better. It's longer and like... It just has its sights a little higher. Yeah, definitely. There's something about it. It's just a little bit better of a movie. I really like Royal Tenenbaums, but I don't rank it as one of my favorite. Uh, Wes Anderson films. And I was very interested in rewatching it uh, to see how I would feel about um, it. Like, you know, in this context of when we're trying to figure out, like we're ranking them and trying to figure out which one's our favorite one so far. So it's, it's been interesting to rewatch, but yeah, I, I think this week I got to give it to Magnolia. I think it's just a little Fair bit enough. better of a movie. Um, both right. very good. They were hard because this is so far. I think my favorite went then mm-hmm. of the one. If we're going to rank those ones. Yeah. Uh, Royale at the top. It's Royale, then Bottle Rocket, then Rushmore. Yeah. And and PTA is kind of in order. Each one gets better. So it's you know, Hard Eight, Boogie Night, Magnolia. I think right now we're both kind of the same on Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, where are you on West, though? I'm... Yeah. So for me... I actually still like Bottle Rocket more than Royal really? Tenenbaums. Yeah. It's all right. It's the thing of like I know Royal Tenenbaums is like a it's that same thing like we were talking about last week. I know Royal Tenenbaums is like the better movie and he's figured it all out. But there's something about Bottle Rocket that I like really love. Um mm. that this is like the simple story and just like uh it's innocent and like quirky and fun and just silly, like that I that just really jives with me really well, and mm-hmm. I don't know like there was something on the rewatch of of Royal Tenenbaums that didn't quite hit as hard as I thought it might have, uh, and 
yeah, so I'm very curious about how I'm going to feel about the next one as well because it's been a couple of years since I rewatched it and now I've got different eyes on it and I think it's just going to be kind of like a a unique <laughs> a unique thing going forward. So you're for Wes Anderson, you are uh, Royal Tenenbaums first. Yeah. And then, then Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket. Then Rushmore. Then Rushmore. Cool. Yeah. All right. And we're still the same. Magnolia, Boogie Nights, and Heart 8. All right. Yeah, I feel like I could go back and forth with Boogie Nights and Heart and Magnolia, but yeah. for today I'm playing Magnolia. Cool. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. What are your rankings? You can get them at us at the PCC Podcast on Twitter or Instagram, uh, or you can pop us the email at podcast.prinshawcinema.com. Let us know. It's a uh, thick movie down. <laughs> we're really getting into the thick of it now. Uh, next week's going to be a really hard one as well. Uh, because or well the next ranking is gonna be really hard because hey we're getting we're getting into like singular hard for you singular storytelling for yeah uh, Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson, Anderson. next week. Um, so he's getting into a singular game but hey he's throwing everyone for a loop and he's decided to make a short <gasps> movie what? so we got a very simple tell with a very interesting uh, choice of a lead actor, which I can't wait to talk about next week. So, as I said, you can always hit us up at the PCC podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Send us email podcast Prince Charles Cinema. You can find me at Tall for All, T A L, number four, A L, Twitter and Instagram. And Phil, where can they find you? I'm um, far away fed on Twitter and in real life. And if you see me at the Prince Charles, come say hi. Absolutely. Tell me Anderson ranking. Are you an Anderson guy yeah. or are you an Anderson guy? <laughs> <laughs> Tell Phil and Let me know. Let him know. Yeah. You can do that. And I'll, yeah. yeah. And then you could get a shout out on the show. Yeah. And you can also see the films at the Prince Charles Cinema. They're all playing. That's true. At I forgot. Cinema. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's why we were doing this. this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Go get all your tickets. PrinceCharlesCinema.com. All these films are playing, and a lot of the a lot of the PTA films have had some extra showings added because they are selling out a lot. Um, so yeah, because they're better. Could they yeah, because people movies. like them better. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's been fun. Let us know your rankings. I'm enjoying this. I can't wait to like see what happens on the other end of this because it's getting funnier and funnier. Uh, I, is the yeah, shit I happening? Phil, is the shit yeah, happening? It's happening. Oh my god, I've got two for West, one for PTA now. Oh my <gasps> god! There I mean, someone, some, someone's got to be pulling for West, otherwise it's going to be a really boring fight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think I'm going to struggle in the next episode, like the next ranking than I did in this one, and I thought this one was going to be the worst one. Yeah, I don't know because your neck. Yeah. I know you the feel your feelings toward the next two. Yeah. Um, and so it could be difficult. <laughs> so everybody go watch Punch Drunk in uh, you know, get ready for it. Yeah. For the showdown next week. Break some windows while you're at it. It's kinda cool. Send us photos Fuck it. Yeah. Send us but photos of you breaking your windows. But don't hurt yourself. But And don't yeah. rub your blood on anyone's face. Yeah. God damn it, what is with the why are there all these weird coincidences? I forget like there's breaking <laughs> windows. Like, Richie breaks the window in this, and then we get a fucking broken window in the next. Like, all right. And cops. People freaking out about <laughs> women and stuff. And, like, these guys are all God. fuck boys. Oh, my God. I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Yeah, be good. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective. 
home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchise, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.